The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Restoration Radio's presentation of Devotions with Bishop Dolan. I'm your host, Justin Soder, and what an honor it is to share the next hour with our guest, His Excellency Bishop Daniel Dolan, pastor of St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio. Your Excellency, uh, what an honor, and thank you again for joining us. Oh, you're very welcome. You're very welcome, Justin. It's my pleasure to be with you today to talk about litanies. The litanies, the litanies. Devotions with Bishop Dolan is underwritten by True Restoration Press and True Restoration Media, and we have streaming videos and membership subscriptions available at truerestoration.org. And while a portion of the operating costs of this program are underwritten by True Restoration Press, we are truly dependent upon listener donations for the continued success of these broadcasts. Restoration radio programs, including this one, are available on the iTunes store and are syndicated on TuneIn and Stitcher. You can follow the work of True Restoration at truerestoration.blogspot.com on our Facebook page and our recently added daily news feed, uh, which is linked on the on the blog homepage. Today, as Our Excellency said on this on this show, he will be instructing us on the many prayers of petition that make up what are known as the litanies. Uh, we as Catholic use, we as Catholics use these prayers in our day to day lives to call down as much help from heaven as we can for our needs and sometimes our wants and for enriching a, a spiritual closeness with the Church triumphant. Uh, I would say much to our detriment uh, today, these, uh, the use of these powerful prayers have fallen into disuse and almost in, uh, into obscurity. I know from my time in the Novus Ordo, we never, ever used anything uh, closely associated with a litany. didn't even know what the term litany was. So we'll be speaking Although, about that this morning. Yeah, but can the curious thing, of course, Justin, as we were saying just a moment ago before we went on air, is that the Novus Ordo has sort of a ham-fisted attempt at restoring some of the most ancient kinds of litanies. We'll talk about that, but may I suggest, first of all, that we say a prayer. Absolutely. Let me begin with the opening invocations of the ancient litany of Our Lady called the Litany of Loretto. We fly to thy patronage, O Holy Mother of God. Despise not our petitions in our necessities, but deliver us from all dangers, O ever-glorious and blessed Virgin. Lord, have mercy on us. Christ, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. Christ, hear us. Christ, graciously hear us. God, the Father of heaven, have mercy on us. God, the Son, Redeemer of the world, have mercy on us. God, the Holy Ghost, have mercy on us. Holy Trinity, one God, have mercy on us. Holy Mary, pray for us. Holy Mother of God, pray for us. Holy Virgin of Virgins, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Amen. Well, that's just the beginning, Justin, of... one of the most ancient and beloved of all of our litanies as Catholics, the Litany of the Blessed Virgin Mary. 
called the Litany of Loretto because it originated at the Shrine of the Holy House of Nazareth at Loretto in northern Italy. Um, as I was preparing for the show, the, I was thinking about a thought that often does come to me if I'm leading devotions a Friday night or on Sunday afternoon with the Vespers and Benediction, how very popular a litany is, that people like to say litanies. Uh, and I would say if you ask them, be far more popular than attempting to read in a way that everyone could hear and, and understand a longer indulgence devotional prayer, even a very beautiful one. The people like the litanies because I think they can participate in them. It's a prayer in which they can participate, and a prayer at the same time, which is uh, beautiful, poetic, elevating, it's a meditation, and um, it, it has a very set or traditional framework of, of the responses of, uh, of, of the prayer. And that's, that's a reason, I think, why these prayers, and there are hundreds of litanies, even though there are only six or perhaps five that are approved for public recitation, there are hundreds of litanies in the Church's treasury of prayers going back for, for centuries, and in, in Latin and in different languages. Well, I should probably start by saying a little bit about the etymology of the word. We always want to go there first. And, of course, litany does come from a Latin word, litania, litaniae, um, which means a, a form of a responsive prayer involving a number of invocations or petitions that are grouped around one main subject or a certain sacred theme, a devotion and invocation to God, one of the titles of Almighty God, the Incarnation, the, uh, the uh, Our Lady, the Saints, also the Church here. Um, all of these, uh, all of these things have their origin actually in, in the Greek word "lete," which is Greek for uh, prayer, especially the idea of prayer as invocation or prayer as supplication. Um, some of the litanies, of course, are are longer. Then others think of the uh, the great the great litany, which is the litany of the saints. Some are directed to the Blessed Trinity, some to Our Lady, some to the saints, some for a particular grace. For example, um, Cardinal Mary Duval's litany of humility, or the litany for a uh, happy death. Um, the litanies are are worthwhile for private prayer and meditation. Because they they are they're very rich in scriptural references and also theological references, and they're very poetic. They're very poetic. You sort of pause. That's the idea. If you're saying a litany by yourself, you can pause and meditate upon some particular title, maybe especially as it uh, as it grasps you. But the idea of the litany essentially is is that of this uh, responsive prayer that goes back. Well, back to the Psalms of King David, in uh, the Divine Office, the priests here recite the Vespers, the, the chief evening prayer of the Church every day when possible, and um, the, the the Vespers that are recited on Thursday evening uh, feature the 135th Psalm, Confitemini Domino, O praise ye the Lord, and the, there, there's a response for each for each invocation, which is Coniam in Eternum Misericordia Eus, for His mercy is forever. So going back to the Temple, going back to King David, already you have that form of uh, of an ancient uh, an ancient prayer. 
um, then uh, you have it even before that, going back uh, to uh, the time of um, of Daniel the prophet. Actually, Daniel, of course, is after David. It's it's another very ancient prayer of the temple and the prayer uh, of the exile uh, of the chosen people in the land of uh, Babylon. So in the Ember Day Masses, we're having Ember Day Masses next week, the Ember Day Masses on Saturday, very often there will be selection from the third uh, uh, chapter of Daniel, uh, in, in which um, there is once again a response that's repeated again and again, and at laudabilis et gloriosus in secula, and worthy to be praised and glorified for ever. Um, the litanies take their origin in not a, as a devotional prayer, even though we would associate that. People saying a litany, I'm say the litany of Saint Joseph. I'm going to say the litany of uh, of Our Lady because it's Saturday. The litany of the Sacred Heart. It's first Friday, or the litany of the Holy Name. I remember when I was a boy, the Holy Name Society would have its uh, monthly communion mass on the second Sunday of the month. And the men of the Holy Name Society would meet together, and then after communion, they would, at the end of the low mass, they would recite together in English the, the litany of the Holy Name. That was part of it. Um, but actually, the, the the chief litany of the Church is what we call today the litany of the saints, which is not a um, it's not a devotional litany as such. It is um, a strictly liturgical prayer, like the mass itself. It was regulated by Pope Saint uh, Pius the fifth, and uh, it has one form that is used for the um, the main processions of the church, but which, which are called the greater and the lesser litanies. We'll talk about them today. And it has another form for use during Holy Week for the Easter Vigil on Holy Saturday. Uh, the, the litany... Uh, will also be familiar maybe to some of the some of the listeners sometimes people in their spiritual odyssey you know going from one place to another might have tried going to avoid the Novus Ordo might have tried going to the Eastern Rite many of our Catholics have done that some people still do although there are some serious problems with that nevertheless some do and if one attends a, an oriental liturgy or a liturgy a divine liturgy as it is called of the Eastern Rites you can't help but notice that it seems that their their mass, which they call the Divine Liturgy, is a tissue, just a series of litanies. The priest is busy doing the priestly work and saying behind the screen the iconostasis, some very beautiful prayers. Meanwhile, a deacon keeps the people busy, and they repeat the same responses, Kyrie eleison, O Lord have mercy, or in the old church Slavonic, um, Gospodi pomilui, podai Gospodi. O oh, oh Lord, hear us. O oh Lord, have mercy upon us for all of these different needs and petitions that, that are mentioned. And, it, and it's a little bit that sense, too, in the, um, uh, in the ancient liturgy of the Roman Church. You have that, too, almost that exact same idea. Remember that the, uh, the litanies, the idea of giving the people something to do, keeping them busy in prayer for the long vigils of prayer, and the ancient Roman church, one of the chief forms of liturgical prayer, was the all-night vigil, called from the Greek word panuchus, all night. And um, 
the uh, ordinations would be given by the Pope at, at St. Peter's Basilica in the side oratory, the oratory of St. Andrew. And while the Holy Father would retire to actually perform the ordinations, then the faithful would be chanting the litany of the saints. And there's, a, there's a distinction sometimes you see in the history of litanies that the litany of the saints would be recited three Fold. That is to say that each invocation would be, re- be recited three times. Uh, sometimes, especially for the Holy Saturday and for ordinations, the litany of the saints, would be re- each invocation would be recited with its response seven times before moving on to the next one. So that was called a sevenfold litany. As it is today, when we're organizing a procession, uh, alert uh, servers and choir members will inquire, is the litany doubled? What does that mean? Well, you might notice at the beginning of some of the litanies that the uh, the invocations uh, have a little double I after them because, uh, technically speaking, the, the litany of the saints is very often doubled. That is to say, it's said twice, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. In the English um, in the English usage in the American usage today we don't usually double double them anymore but in the old days it was it was doubled and um, whenever the litanies are sung or said in procession then they as an official part of the church's worship then they're doubled that that idea of doubling um, as long as I'm on the topic may as well talk about that for a moment is the idea that the people didn't have books and so you had a cantor or two cantors who would sing uh, the litany, this invocation, like St. Mark, pray for us, Sancte Marche, Ora Pro Nobis. They would sing the whole thing, and then the people would just repeat what they had heard. And that's the origin of, of the doubling of the litanies, if you've ever assisted at a procession of the litany of the saints. At other times, for example, 40 hours, or the ordination of a priest, or a subdeacon or a deacon, the, the 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 litanies are not uh, are not doubled, which is why I say sometimes sometimes um, they will ask about that. Well, Your Excellency, um, I just learned something. I did not realize it. It's interesting. It didn't hit me until you just said that. That during the mass, the curie is is sort of its own little mini litany, is it not? It it is, and the, the, I'm glad you <laughs> brought that up, Justin. The, it it oh, it's very interesting. There are different different theories about that. Is the litany? Uh, it is the remnant of the ancient Greek litany. Um, mm-hmm. The Greeks, as I mentioned, or the Eastern rites would use the Lord have mercy or the Kyrie eleison throughout. Whereas in the Western Church, Saint Gregory the Great, they say, was aware of this of this difference. It was just used at the very beginning and then at the very end of the litany. And otherwise, other appropriate invocations are used, such as pray for us. Uh, we beseech thee, hear us, deliver us, O Lord. So the, the, it would vary a little bit. So probably what happened is that um, the as the the litany with which uh, the mass was begun, I'm going to speak about that in a moment, was shortened. At least this essential part of the litany was kept. Saint uh, Benedict put that into the divine office for monks, and then there was an influence from the Benedictine observance. Throughout the throughout the whole of the of the Western Church, that this little litany or certain versicles would be would be uh, re- repeated. So it, so in every mass we have the ninefold Kyrie, three Kyrie, three Christe, and then three Kyrie again to honor the three persons of the Blessed 
Trinity, and that's one that's that's the remnant of the Greek. And Greek, of course, was the original uh, liturgical language of uh, of the Catholic Church until about the fourth century or so, maybe third century. Uh, the Mass was offered in Greek, and then only later was it changed into Latin and fixed with the Latin language. So probably that's that's an origin. The the Kyrie is a remnant rather of the. Of the, of the original long procession. And what was a long procession? Well, I was talking a little bit about the Litany of the Saints as, as being a chief prayer, the church, historical prayer, whereby the people participated in prayer while certain sacred rites were being performed during these long vigils. An essential element of the Roman rite, and I think we've mentioned this before on, the, uh, on this devotional series, is um, what's called the Stational Church. You'll see that in your in your missal. You'll see Station at St. Peter's or Station at St. Mary Major's. And what that means is that originally, for many ancient great feast days, and for every day during Lent, every day in which which was a fasting day, actually the Ember Days included there would be a procession, a penitential procession, featuring, yes, the Litany of the Saints that would be sung and be repeated a certain number of times depending on on the circumstances or the particular rubrics of the day. Uh, this Litany of the Saints would take place um, beginning at a certain church which is called the Collector, the Collect Church. People would literally collect in this church, be sort of a minor church. Everyone would go there. And then the, then the procession would be all organized. You'd go barefoot. And I don't know how you got your shoes again at the end, but in any case, maybe you just came home from home barefoot. And that was an act of penance, too. Of course it was, from many points of view. And you would, you would march in procession. Everyone would be all organized. Um, there'd be the virgins in one section, and then there'd be the widows, and then there'd be the married women, and then there'd be the, the men, and then there'd be children, and the clergy according to their different ranks, and religious. And everyone would be all organized, and everyone would be chanting chanting the litany. Then they would go to a church called the Stazio. Uh, that's an old military, Roman military term, uh, where, where you stand, where, you, where, where you're on duty. And at the Stazio church, then there would be other ceremonies that would lead to the Pope offering the holy sacrifice of the Mass. And the litany, as you see in the Missal, comes to an end with the Kyrie. So that's the possible origin of the Kyrie in, in our Mass today. So the Litany of the Saints, talking about that a lot at the very start, because that is not, as I say, not a, although it could be used as a devotional litany, say, November or during the Feast Day of All Saints, it's not chiefly that. It is the Church's chief um, form of prayer, very, very powerful, uh, very moving. It's, it's a cry of distress, one, one author says, and it, and it leaves a very deep religious impression on the soul. Uh, that, so that's how Mass was offered in the, in the ancient Roman Church. It was this element of preparation. So a litany is a preparation for Mass. Good to keep in mind for our faithful. Sometimes you see that still today. People will say a litany, as well as uh, five decades of the rosary out loud together in a chapel before Mass is offered. Well, that, uh, actually, there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of beautiful Catholic history and spirituality uh, behind that. Um, another, as, as we're talking about the Litany of the Saints, an, another major use of the Litany of the Saints is what is called, again, this is seen in the Roman Missal, the uh, Major Litanies, 
and the lesser are the minor litanies. They're called to the rogation days. The, the greater litanies are fixed for the 25th of April. They said that date was chosen before the feast day of St. Mark, apostle and evangelist, who uh, was that, uh, that his, his feast was put in actually later. And the date of 25th of April is traditionally held to be the date on which St. Peter first stepped foot in Rome, the very first time although others claim that it has to do with the, the replacement of a pagan, kind of a pagan procession. It's one of those things that historians dispute. But in any case, it's very, very ancient, and it's very, very serious, and um, very traditional, and it's one of those things which is, sadly, even amongst our traditional Catholic clergy and faithful, neglected. Even Dom Guéranger in the 19th century, France, you know, during the revival of liturgy, uh, he uh, regretted that back then, and it's even more so it's true today. The priest is obliged at least to recite the, the litanies himself privately, but uh, one should make every effort for to to have the litanies chanted in public as a procession. When you're making these processions, I mentioned to you earlier just before the show about the, uh, we had a, uh, a rosary procession last night for the 13th of September. Um, and uh, we recited all 15 decades in procession. You, you, it's tiring to walk at a certain slow pace and to pray out loud with a good loud tone of voice, repeating the prayers. And in that sense, a rosary procession is just a modern successor to these ancient processions we've been speaking about today. That's that's a real act of penance, and I notice that too with the. With the, with the litany of the saints. So uh, if, if we approach it in the right way, out of respect, with confidence, and in reparation for our sins, to beg God for all the graces we need, it has to be efficacious. It's, it's a shame that these things really have died out. So that's the 25th of April. It's the greatest of the, of the processions called the Greater Litanies. There is um, a story connected with that. I guess we spoke about that last time on our Angela show about the Regina Chaley. Do you recall that, Justin? I do. Right. I so do how, I'll uh, just summarize it, summarize it very briefly, that uh, there was a procession, possibly it was the 25th of April procession, with uh, the great St. Gregory, St. Gregory the Great. The Tiber had flooded, and uh, there was a plague as a result of that flooding, and uh, there were penitential processions going on in Rome. And when the Pope and his clergy and the people of Rome, and this very barefoot and 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 uh, uh, ascetical, sad-hearted, you might say, procession, but very sincere, came within sight of Hadrian's tomb, right and, uh, on the other side of the of the Tiber River, um, and near the Vatican. Then there was uh, a vision of Saint Michael the Archangel sheathing his sword, the sword of God's wrath, and angels were heard to sing the anthem that we used during the Easter season, O Queen of Heaven, Rejoice, Alleluia, the Regina Chaley. So that's uh, one of the most glorious tales connected with the, the greater litanies in, um, in April of each, of each year. And then there are what's called the Rogation Days. Rogation is a Latin from Latin rogare, to ask, the asking days. And they occur in the, in the sacred liturgy. There are liturgical processions as well. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, before the ascension of our Lord into heaven. And on these days, the same litany of the saints is also chanted in procession. They have as their origin um, 
the institution of uh, by a certain Saint Mamertus, who was a bishop of Vienne in France in the fifth century, because uh, once again it was it was a reaction to to grievous calamities. There was bad weather. There were earthquakes. There were uh, pagan invasions or barbarian invasions as well. There were plagues. Almost, almost every form of uh, affliction conceivable was occurring, and this uh, good and holy bishop got the idea to to have these processions. Eventually, the, these processions became customary, not only in France, but even in Rome itself, and then they entered into the Roman Missal, and we call them the uh, the lesser litanies. So we have we have those two. So those are some of the liturgical um, uh, processions and a little bit of the history of the um, of the litany itself, as a litany of the saints, as as a very very powerful form of prayer. Hmm. For those of you just joining us, uh, you are listening to Devotions with Bishop Dolan on the Restoration Radio Network, and today we're discussing with His Excellency the litanies, and there are so many, so many of the litanies out there. Um, and I think now is kind of a good time, Your Excellency, to kind of circle back around to what you, meant, uh, you mentioned a few minutes ago about the the contemplative, the contemplative and the meditative aspects of the litany. I'm sure you've heard throughout all of your years in the priestly and Episcopal ministry, uh, people saying, well, I have a difficult time meditating. And, of course, I fell in that mm-hmm. category as well, being busy in the world and my job and my day-to-day routine. But one of the things that really helped me along was when you take, for example, let's say the Litany of the Blessed Virgin, it's not only uh, instructive and devotional, it's also it's also contemplative. I mean, if people pay attention to things like... Uh, Ark of the Covenant, Tower of Ivory, Tower of David, Singular Vessel of Devotion, Queen of Patriarchs, Queen of Confessors. I mean, that should elicit in them some sort of, uh, hopefully, response to, to go search these things or, or ask, their, ask their traditional priest, what, what exactly does this mean? And uh, you can take, for example, just the Litany of the Blessed Virgin, and there is so much in there that can be instructive as well as meditative. Sure, and then, uh, in fact, I was just um, on another show also on the Restoration Radio with um, our esteemed head, uh, I was, uh, Stephen Heiner, I was discussing just the other day that something about that same topic about meditation, and we agreed, and I'm sure you would agree with me as well, Justin, anyway, we, we all meditate, I mean, we meditate like, what am I going to have for dinner tonight, how on earth am I going to pay the bills? Uh, which, uh, which, what do I want to do with my free Saturday night? We, we meditate all the time. In, in other words, we, we consider something, we think it through, we examine the different aspects of it, and very importantly, we reach some sort of a, of a resolution. So that's mental prayer or meditation in a thumbnail sketch, if you will. But you do have that very much in, in all of the litanies, and that's something to be said in favor of, well, in favor of yourself of reciting slowly a litany, or in favor of um, learning a litany by heart, but with this idea, as you mentioned, of of what does it mean, Tower of Ivory? What does it mean, House of Gold, uh, Ark of the Covenant? Uh, we've had, and it used to be done, it's called, it's called May Devotions. May Devotions, which grew up in the 19th century, early 19th century in, in uh in France and before the revolution, even in Italy, for the benefit of college students of all things, often featured a sermon every evening in May, and very often on one of the titles of Our Lady in her litany, the Litany of Loretto, so that 
the priest would do the research, and then he would give a little presentation. Even today, our, our school children recite the Litany of Our Lady during May, and uh, every day one of the priests will take a turn and give a little talk on one of the titles of the litany. They're very beautiful, but some of them are slightly mystifying. Uh, along those lines, Justin, the interesting fact or factoid that I just came across this morning in researching for the show is that you know Pope St. Pius V was, uh, he, he is the Pope of the Rosary, is the Pope of the Mass, he's the Pope of the Missal, uh, Pope of Lepanto. He was himself... Uh, truly a very sort of a severe and austere man and didn't want things to go too far afield, you might say. So he, uh, there was a litany, the one that we use today for Our Lady, which had already developed in uh, at the Shrine of Loretto where the Holy House of Nazareth was moved by angels, which is another beautiful story, and was very popular in the church. But St. Pius V was afraid that some of the titles in the Litany of Loretto not being liturgical or scriptural in their source, were a little bit too difficult for the people to understand or too fanciful. And he attempted to reform the Litany of Our Lady and to make it strictly scriptural and strictly liturgical. He was unsuccessful. Uh, that little bit of austerity didn't take. And after his death, with a sigh of relief, one of his successors as popes, went back to the old traditional Litany of Loretto as we have it today. Uh, I also mentioned the other day about how he, he actually did abolish, for his time, uh, some of the lesser feast days of Our Lady, such as, for example, the presentation of Our Lady in the temple that our, these feast days are, are based on a tradition, or sometimes it's called an apocryphal tradition, in the, in the church. All of this goes to, sh that's kind of interesting, because he's a great saint, but he had sort of one viewpoint on things. But um, what prevailed? I'll tell you what prevailed. It was popular piety that the people knew already during the time of St. Pius V. The people knew by heart those invo invocations. Just around the same time as the reign of Pius V, St. Peter Canisius, one of the great early Jesuits who really saved the Catholic faith in the north of Europe and the German-speaking countries in particular, uh, and the lowlands too, in the Netherlands, he published uh, the, the the first the first the first published copy of the Litany of Loretto, and people would learn it by heart. And so people don't like to have their traditions tampered with. We like to to keep that. I learned it this way as a boy, and I'm my, my golly now as an old man, I'm going to continue to recite it this way. Uh, that and that's 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 that you might say is you know the Ark of the Covenant was um, made out of a special type of, of wood that would not rot. There's a symbolism there, and then it was covered over in the purest gold, in order to 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 carry, to contain, or to hold the the the, uh, the the tablets of the law and the rod of Moses. These things which were so very sacred in the old covenant. Well, the uh, our customs and traditions are a little bit like an Ark of the Covenant. That is to say, they, 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 they carry and they hold something. Our faith, really. Our, our love for Our Lady and the Saints. Um, and the whole Catholic way of life is sort of caught up in these things. That's why the Church, following Thomas Aquinas, has always said, no changes should be made unless there's a very, very clear advantage to be gained from them. And that's the tragedy of 50 years ago. With all the changes you mentioned earlier about how um, in the Novus Ordo, 
no litanies are, were ever used at all. All of those things were abolished and died out. And yet, they tried to reintroduce, but in a different way, and I think rather unsuccessfully, of course, but I am prejudiced, this idea of responsive prayer. So they have, after their scripture readings, they have these responsorial psalms, and there's what we call the great electronic voice, some gal uh, backed up by a, a pretty strong PA system <laughs> who is going to belt out for you some, you know, diddy diddyized version of a modern translation of a psalm verse, and then she's going to lift her hands up high in the air, and I, I guess you can lift your hands up too if you want to, and everybody repeat it together. <laughs> so that's their that is that's their version of the of, of a litany. That's you know how do we get Lord excellency. have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy, Christ hears, Christ graciously hears. How do we get from there a real litany to this electronic verse? and singing some sort of an inane, trite little ver uh, uh, version of a prayer, of a psalm, and making everybody uh, attempt to, to, to repeat it. It's, uh, that's well, really unsuccessful. That's what St. Pius, Pope Pius XII feather, condemned as archaeologism in the liturgy. These things have their, their ways and their seasons, and the, the, this the, the story about St. Pius V I find fascinating because it goes to show how once these ancient traditions are rooted and established, obviously with the inspiration of the Holy Ghost and the blessing of the Church, directly and indirectly, one should be very careful about touching them even. So the idea of the boldness that they're going to rewrite the whole Mass and put all this responsorial stuff in, aside from all the theological problems, even from a practical or a devotional point of view, not successful. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. If only we had stayed with what we had and, and what we knew and got people just to be faithful uh, to, to this. It's a very popular, the responsive form of prayer is a very popular one. I, I should mention here too, Justin, about, the, um, about another form of this kind of prayer in comparison with the Novus Ordo. That is to say that the Novus Ordo made a big hoopla about the prayer of the faithful. And uh, that's a big deal now in the Novus Ordo, people lining up to, uh, to you know, to, to, to read a petition. It's always, always a sort of like a politically correct uh, petition or a petition to influence the thought of others, actually, you know, that the Pope and the bishops may have a more green theology about the earth, let us pray to the Lord, something like that. Well, that's technically a, response, a responsive or responsorial kind of a prayer. Um, that idea of praying for the church and the different classes and conditions of, of the church and of men in general and for all of our needs goes back to the very ancient liturgy uh, in, the, in the very early centuries. And we have a beautiful remnant of that. We, we've seen how you have that kind of a prayer, really, in the Litany of the Saints. And it, you have, we have a remnant of that in the Mass of the Pre-Sanctified on Good Friday. So they are called the solemn prayers, or the litanaical prayers are sometimes called as well. And after the Passion of St. John has been chanted, well, then the, uh, the priest uh, reads uh, or chants in a very beautiful ancient melody, which has a little bit the, uh, the air about it of the synagogue from the Old Testament, I mean, and a lot about it of the catacombs. Um, uh, an invocation uh, to, for prayer is, uh, is is read by the priest, and then uh, he uh, uh, chants, "Let us pray," 
and then the deacon chants, let us kneel, uh, flectamus genua, and then the subdeacon responds, levate, and then a proper collect itself is, is, is recited. A collect is a f- collection, or an official collection of our petitions and needs uh, as, as, as published by the church with, with her authority. So these prayers are very, very ancient, and they take place on, on Good Friday, and that's when we pray, of course, traditionally for the, the, the conversion of the Jews, for the, for, the, for the infidels, for all the states and conditions of the church. So that's, that's a form of prayer, of a, a different kind of a litany, if you will, that, mm-hmm. that, that exists in, in the church, but that would be the extent of it, the... Um, yeah. You have that in, in the Mass itself. You have after the sermon in the, the Creed, then the, the priest chants or recites Dominus Fabiscum, server answers at cum spiritu tuo. Then he says, O Ramus. Well, at that point, in the old, in the very, very early days, there would be a sort of a litany for all of the needs, a prayer of the faithful, if you will, but that dropped out for good reasons a long, long time ago. And the only time that we maintain that is on Good Friday in the Mass of the Presanctified. Well, Your Excellency, uh, if I can, going back just a second ago to what you said, I remember in my latter days with the Novus Ordo, this has been mm-hmm. almost, well, at least 10 years ago during the uh, you know, the, the, the electronic voice uh, who, who is mm-hmm. out there you know, spouting all kinds of things about social justice and whatnot. I remember hearing the, right. the petition that uh, you know the world's resources and wealth be equitably distributed amongst the world's right. population. Exactly. So now, so now we're <laughs> now we're hoping Marxism comes in, and that, that's not mm-hmm. a surprise at all. So yeah. I'd also like to ask: we have a we have an email question from a listener, uh, Your Excellency, uh, in, who asks the question. I would like to ask His Excellency to comment on this, if he would. I'm unemployed and I'm praying about it. So if I have a particular need, in my case, I'm unemployed, should I go directly to St. Joseph as the patron saint of working men, or should I call in the quote-unquote big guns like the Litany of the Saints or the Litany of the Blessed Virgin Mary? Thank you. Well, um, the, the Litany of the Saints, as we've seen, is, is chiefly a liturgical prayer, but the, the highest and the best form of private prayer, St. Pius X would say, is indeed liturgical prayer, but yet at the same time it was St. Pius X himself, who was such a friend of the working man, and was from a poor family, poor background, who uh, officially approved an indulgence to the litany of St. Joseph. It's a, it's a short litany. It's a very beautiful litany. And it, I, I always find it a very consoling one to recite. Um, but when you pray, the main thing is to pray. And one may follow one's instincts, one may vary for the sake of devotion, uh, or one may follow just sort of a, a traditional approach that one has always followed. Those, those are all excellent forms of prayer. So there isn't any um, good way or, or wrong way of all these traditional prayers. So, I mean, if somebody tells me, um, you know, I'm having cataract surgery, then I will say, oh, you know, St. Lucy is the saint that you pray to for cataracts. Or St. Giles is a saint you pray to for children uh, to make it all through, through the night without waking up and crying a lot. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a saint and there's a patron for everything, but how you approach the saint or the patron would be really up to you. Personally, I would recommend uh, the prayer to uh, St. Joseph, the, the litany, rather, of St. Joseph as a very efficacious form of prayer. Um, so, you know, there's a, speaking about the Litany of Our Lady, there's a very strong tradition in the Church to recite the Litany of Our Lady every day, especially as part of the evening prayer. 
uh, in connection with the rosary, usually. And then you'll see in the older prayer books uh, for the morning prayer to recite the litany of the holy name of Jesus, which is another very ancient one, an ancient medieval devotion, especially promoted by the um, Franciscans on a venture and St. Bernardine of Siena chiefly, and then also the Dominicans. They're, they're also very, very involved in that promotion of that, of that devotion. But uh, you couldn't say if, if you need a job that you, there, there's be any, any, any wrong person to, to, to pray to. No, not at all. But St. Joseph really is the patron saint for that. And the litany is a very attractive and, and, and an easy form of prayer. So I think I would recommend that. Okay. We also have one more question, and this was hearkening back to what you said a moment ago about distinguishing between the regular public litanies and the private use. And the, the question is, could His, Excellency, could His Excellency explain the difference between regular litanies and those that say for private use only? Are they okay to say privately any time of the year? Is there a season when it is wrong to pray them? And how do we know which ones are okay to pray, since many of them are found on the Internet and we have no source to verify when they were instituted? Well, now that's a good point. Um, there's a there's a book that uh, someone loaned me for this show called A Prayer Book of Favorite Litanies, compiled by a Father Albert Hebert, S.M., uh, printed originally by Tan Books, but then, of course, Tan Books was taken over by another uh, firm, which is uh, Novus Ordo, uh, St. Benedict Press, Charlotte, North right. Carolina. And uh, there are, in this book, there are a few uh, Novus Ordo litanies. And um, Catholics should develop a sense of smell. Uh, that is to say, if it sort of smells modern, then stay away from it. It's, it stinks. And uh, it's putrid, and just uh, be careful about that. Because there, there is, you might, oh, in a sense, you simply say, well, there, we, but we don't have enough time to say the most ancient, approved, and... Um, profitable litanies, much less to take our chance with anything else. So stay with the old ones if you're going to be reciting something. But if it's a good litany, that is to say not modernistic or heretical in any sense. Um, well, for example, the the Anglicans, the Church of England, they have, uh, because the litany was such a, form, uh, such a formidably popular form of devotion, especially for Sunday mornings before the High Mass in England, when Henry VIII began the, um, his schismatic church, he published an English litany to replace the Latin litany of the saints. And still today you'll find in the Anglican Book of Common Prayer what, what they simply call the litany. Well, you know, obviously one, one wouldn't say that because that, that comes from a heretical source. So you have to be careful to avoid anything that might be from a heretical source, which then leads us to a, a logical discussion of approved litanies or not. We, we really should only say litanies which are approved by the Church, which have an imprimatur, which have a traditional origin or source, uh, because then we can be sure that, that they are good. And as I say, there are, there are probably hundreds of them to be found uh, today. There, there is if a, I may interrupt um, real quick, Your Excellency, sure. may, may I ask a question? Some of our listeners may not know what exactly that means to have the uh, um, imprimatur and what exactly that is. Well, it, it, the imprimatur is an official uh, permission from a bishop. It means literally a bishop of a place, of a diocese in the old days. Let it be printed. And then along with it is a uh, Latin phrase. It also uh, symbolizes a decree. Nihil obstat, nothing stands in the way. 
So there's, there, uh, the bishop says this is good. The neolobstat means uh, someone who's a specialist, a theologian, has checked it over, and there isn't anything uh, incorrect, false, wrong, or heretical, or scandalous about this. Mm. That was, of course, St. Pius V's worry when he wanted to reform the litany of Loretto, was that uh, perhaps there were some invocations in there at that time that were um, that were maybe hard for the people to understand or seemed uh, a little bit too far-flung uh, and not quite, maybe they could be taken in an unorthodox way, something like that. So the Church has always vindicated her right for this. Uh, Baronius, who was the disciple of St. Philip Neri and a great oratorian himself and a great church historian, uh, Baronius said that at, at his time, so you're talking to the time of Pius V, actually, and a little bit after, there were already 80 uh, published, well-known uh, litanies in the church. And uh, in the year 1601, the Pope, uh, Pope Clement, uh, by means of the sacred office of the Inquisition, the Holy Office, um, forbade that there should be any litanies at all published that were not approved by the church because because of the danger of some heterodox notions being entered in uh, to 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 this to this prayer um, well you have the same idea with false apparitions today so maybe you're you're using some sort of a devotional book and you see some reference to Garabandal or uh, Medjugorje something like that. my goodness what what's that doing here well <laughs> everything's falling apart and that's that's what that's doing there and then but right away then you get heretical notions uh, directly and indirectly heretical notions about, you know, it's the Bergoglio time again. Every, all, everyone's going to heaven. Uh, it's fine to be a Mohammedan. Follow your conscience. Uh, so the church has always wanted to exercise care about that. That's her duty. That's the duty of a pastor to take care of the sheep. So <clears throat> it, would be, it would be possible to come across litanies, possibly, uh, especially modern in, 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 in origin, that would have heterodox notions. So since the beginning of the 17th century, the popes have really insisted on that. So if you look for that imprimatur and the, the nihil obstat, or the fact that it's written actually by a saint, that's another sure way, or some great some great church figure. For example, um, uh, I've collected a number of litanies for the Immaculate Heart of Mary. I like to do litanies myself for private devotion and also for for devotions in church around a certain theme. So the litanies are divided up in old prayer books even for the different months of the year. And we all know, as traditional Catholics, that the devotion for the month of August is to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Uh, the first liturgical proponent of that devotion and liturgical author of that devotion was the great St. John Eudes, who lived in uh, 17th century um, France. Uh, so I have, I have a beautiful litany that, that he composed. Uh, Cardinal Newman composed a, a number of litanies in his, uh, in his writings, his prayer, including one for the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And there are several others that are, that are more, more modern. So as long as um, <clears throat> one avoids anything that, that, that's modern or doubtful in its origin, <clears throat> you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong with this form of prayer. Um, probably want to say something, too, though, about this idea. What about for private use only? You see that at the top of so many litanies. What does that mean? Well, that means that the only litanies that have been formally approved by the Church for a liturgical use or quasi-liturgical use at devotions, at benediction, uh, in a Catholic 
church, a Catholic parish church, are uh, the the ancient litanies, the litany of the saints, the litany of Loretto, litany of Our Lady, litany of the Holy Name, litany of the Sacred Heart, the litany of um, Saint Joseph. And then many would add to that, and I think that I would too, simply out of devotion, the um, litany of the Precious Blood, even though it was John the 23rd in 1960. Obviously it had been in the hamper, it had been in the works being prepared for promulgation for a number of years, and the litanies of the Precious Blood go way back even to the Middle Ages. So I would say that would be a safe one to uh, to recite as well. So those are the official litanies that are indulgenced and to be used publicly. But um, in our circumstances today, when we traditional Catholics have a, a chapel or even a large church, uh, technically speaking, that's all a private assembly. It's nothing public's not done under the authority of the church's hierarchy. The hierarchy today, sadly, is in abeyance. It doesn't ex- it, 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 it exists um, no longer in any in a public visible form. The, what should be what should be there is not found there, and so we, to preserve our faith, gather together. Uh, so the church, somebody's church, we might call it a parish church, but it's not really a parish church. It hasn't been established by the authority of the church. So I think in that sense, one could justify with prudence the use of some of these other ancient litanies at certain times of the year. And there are so many of them, and they are, it is an attractive form of prayer. It is a real meditation. Although if if a priest or the people wanted simply to stay with the with the with the uh, with a handful of the of the truly approved ancient ones, um, which have indulgence uh, indulgences from the church, well, that's fine too. But that's also okay. a good way to approach it. For those of you who are just joining us, we're reaching the the latter stages of our program here, and if and if it's possible to beg just a few more minutes of your excellency's time uh just go over just a little bit over the top of the hour if that wouldn't be a problem we have a couple a couple little more points to make here but you're listening to devotions with bishop dolan on the restoration radio network and i'm your host justin soder i'm joined this morning by his excellency bishop daniel dolan of saint gertrude the great in westchester ohio um your excellency i think maybe um certainly i know this is a question that I have thought about a lot, especially when reflecting on this program, and you've 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 spoken of it somewhat. But I'd like to get a little more, maybe an exacting and surgical approach to this. And that is, why, in your opinion, do you believe that these litanies have been forsaken almost entirely within the modernist structure of the of the uh, you know, the Novus Ordo Church today? I mean, is it uh, my my original thought was the the you know the disappearance of them as a reflection of the denial of the supernatural reality of the souls in heaven, which is brought about by the naturalism of our time. But I would like to hear more about you know why you believe that it's totally disappeared almost. Well, it's the it's the idea of a of a mania for innovation first of all, and Dom Garanger points it out in his classic work, The Anti Liturgical Heresy. Uh, everything that that has to be scriptural. If it's not scriptural, then it's not to be done. So you have to get rid of almost everything. But then there's the other modernist dy- dynamic that Father Chicada stresses in his book, Work of Human Hands. That is to say that anything that's reflective of the old theology, um, the church triumphant, the church militant, the church suffering, um, the idea of saints and saints praying and making invocation for us, the idea indeed that man should be on his knees before his maker and say, Kyrie eleison, O Lord, have mercy on us, that we need mercy, that we, we don't 
that we don't come to church to celebrate ourselves and to say, you know, we're pretty good and we're all going to heaven and our dogs are coming too, but instead to say, oh, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, as as so often you read of in the Gospels with those who came up to the Savior. Uh, that's You see, that's, that's, that's that modern idea. We don't need mercy. We don't need the saints. So it's not the idea of responsive prayer. As we've seen, a form of responsive prayer is absolutely a very strong part of the Novus Ordo uh, liturgy. Um, uh, I, I would maintain a very ungainly and unsuccessful uh, part of it, but it's, it's very much there. So it's not that. It's, it's the idea of the theology which is behind it. So the whole theology of Catholicism is that of penance and is that of prayer and is that of intermediaries that our our Lord is the intermediary with the Father, and then Our Lady with our Lord, and then the saints with Our Lady and our Lord to go to God the Father. <clears throat> so this whole this whole this whole structure of traditional Catholicism and the theology behind it, the theology of the saints, the theology of us, the Church militant as sinners, <clears throat> and then um, even two along with it would be that uh, triumphant. I was reading the Divine Office this morning for the Holy, the Exaltation of the Holy Cross today's feast day, and there's, there's a, uh, the, the, the word triumphant is, is used in one of the responsories. And you think of the masses, the beautiful masses, the processions, um, or the thunderous chanting of the litany of the saints. It's always, oh, of course, I'm a bishop, and I have occasion from time to time the privilege of ordaining a man a priest forever. And there's always such a thrill when that choir tunes up the the litany of the saints, and it's a holy thunder. It's a very triumphant prayer. But that these are all <clears throat> the history. These are all the theology. Uh, and these are all, I may say, the hope of the true Catholic faith. And that's why the litanies are so so powerful. That's the pull. Whether it be somebody just um, kneeling at his bedside reciting a, a litany himself in the evening, as May, I'm going to say the litany of Our Lady every day during during her month of May, or whether it be uh, a young man who's prostrate on the floor in front of the the, bis- the bishop in the altar, waiting to be made a priest of God. There's, there's something thrilling, and because it's Catholic, because it's Catholic, mm-hmm. it's very reflective of the whole of our Catholic uh, theology and our Catholic philosophy of life, if you will. And that's what they can't stand. That's what they can't mm-hmm. stand, and that's what they're, they they they're always the bad guys, the, the modernists. Always trying to uh, to avoid and and to destroy that. Uh, if we have time for one other little point, let me mention too that um, one of my favorite forms of litanies I came across years ago in my reading about one of the great vicars apostolic or bishops in England before the dioceses were restored by Pope Pius the Ninth. He was a missionary bishop, Bishop Shaloner who revised one of the Douay translations of the sacred scripture in English. He's known for that. You say the, the Douay Reims Shaloner Bible, for example. You see that name. He was a wonderful right. man, very, very English, very austere and in the English mold, uh, but truly pious and truly apostolic. Um, and he composed a number of um, services, in effect, for Catholics to use, especially for Sunday morning, either in preparation for the Holy Mass or uh, in the case when they could not assist at Mass, as a sort of a way of a replacement of devotions to be said, much of it was the translation into English of the Divine Office. And it, this whole thing was known as the Office of Prone. He also wrote a number of litanies, 
very, very beautiful litanies uh, for the different seasons of the year. For example, for Lent, there's a penitential litany. It's long. It's written very elegant old English. I find it very appealing, and we usually recite that litany uh, on Ash Wednesday as part of our devotions, perhaps before before Mass. Um, so he, 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 he gives litanies, again, this idea I mentioned earlier, uh, going back to the very early church, of litanies being recited as a preparation for the holy sacrifice of the Mass. So I could recommend that maybe to our listeners today, that that's a good way to prepare for Mass, to, to recite the litany. Um, you should, one should always be careful, of course, as with anything else, as with the rosary, not to rattle them off not to say them too quickly, to uh, savor just a little bit the sweetness of each one of those titles of Our Lord, of Our Lady, of St. Joseph. Uh, just enough, really, to get some sense of it. And also just because it's public, if it's being said together as a public prayer, you know, it wouldn't be seemly to say it too very quickly. Um, and also, the, the, uh, I wanted to mention the fact that um, until modern times, and still today in, in many countries such as Italy, it was the custom for Catholics, regardless of their native language, to learn uh, the common prayers in Latin. St. Francis de Sales highly recommends that for the Pater and the Ave, because it's the Church's language, he says. We should all pray in the same language. And it was a, it was a custom in Italy amongst the Catholics, amongst the devout, until the changes, until modern times, that everyone said the Litany of Our Lady in Latin, and everyone learned it by heart. Just as you would be able to say the Memorare or the Hail Holy Queen, they could say the whole... I remember meeting an Italian lady once years ago as a young missionary priest, and I was so... Well, I just knocked my socks off and highly edified. We were going for a walk, I think, and saying the rosary. And then she launches into the Litany of Loretto, and she knew the whole thing by heart. How beautiful. Wow. If you mem- yeah, right. If you memorize a prayer, that's why I tell the boys when they learn how to serve, serve Mass, that's yours. That's yours forever. Whenever a priest needs a server, you'll be able to serve because you know the responses. The same thing with any prayer that you learn by heart. You never know when it's going to it's going to come in handy. And it's something. That there's a nature of that. The rhythm of this repetitive prayer, this responsorial prayer, lends itself easily to um, memorization as well as meditation. So we could really sing the praises of the litanaical approach to prayer. Uh, very eloquently, I think, uh, from from every point of view. And all the litanies used by Catholics, all the hundreds of them, really, uh, are, are a testimony to that, as well as the ancient, ancient liturgical use of the Church, the use of litanies, and the remnant that we have in every Mass till today with the Kyrie. Mm. I think, the certainly so, Your Excellency, that, that the litany, as we talked a minute ago about the, the, the denial of the supernatural, I think they're a great seed to plant into people's minds and souls the reality of the supernatural, you know, of the souls that yes. are in heaven. And, and uh, this is why usually I try uh, to, to, to say a litany every day of some kind, um, mm-hmm. because, you know, we are products of our culture and the products of our time. And this is just, uh, this is the reality of where we are, and we're surrounded by a culture and a world that has no use for God or heaven or the supernatural or anything like that. So I think uh, you know, litanies are a, a wonderful, wonderful spiritual seed to be planted every day. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, um one of my treasured old prayer books called uh, The Golden Manual, a wonderful 19th century book of devotion in English, 
gives litanies which they recommend. Many of them are, are really unknown today, but which they recommend for the different days of the week. For example, to say the Litany of the Holy Name and the Litany of Loretto on Sunday. On Monday, the Immaculate Conception of the Holy Ghost. On Wednesday, of course, St. Joseph. Wednesday, to um, the Holy Name of Jesus. Uh, Thursday, there was a litany that was recited of... Sometimes it was called the Golden Litany. Sometimes it was called the Litany of Jesus or the Life of Jesus. And on Friday, the Litany of the Passion, the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady... Uh, there's a very beautiful litany of the Holy Cross for Fridays. And on Saturday of the, um, in this old 19th century book, Saturday is recommended as the day of devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Sacred Heart of Mary. So there are, there are many days and many possible divisions one could get into. But I think that um, if, because a lot of these litanies have been reprinted now, if uh, our, our listeners want to make maybe a good investment in their in the richness of their own spiritual lives and meditation, as we've been stressing today. A, a good a good thing to do would be to have some of these litanies. You find them in old prayer books, perhaps by by a newer prayer book that that's available, and use them. I like to use the litanies according to the devotions of the month, or the the, the liturgical devotions of the time of the feast of the day. That's what that's what appeals to me personally. So if it's the feast day of uh, St. Philomena, maybe I'm making a novena to her, it's August, well then I'm looking for St. Philomena litany, and the, the curie of ours, a saint, wrote the litany to St. Philomena. Wow, that's two for the price of one. That's, that's really a very, very strong recommendation. Or the feast day of the Holy Name, then and January. Well, then the litany, an effort really to recite the litany of the Holy Name of Jesus. As I said, there's a beautiful litany of the Holy Cross, a litany of the Seven Sorrows, tomorrow's feast day. So something tying in with the feast or the season, because the more our Catholics attempt to live in a liturgical way, the more they'll be in the spirit of the Church, and that's the supernatural. That's one of the very best ways to shut the door on naturalism. Just and just the point that um, I have to worship God. I have to kneel down. I have to invoke the saints. I have to humble myself before the Almighty and His friends, the saints. That 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 alone is going to be a tremendous help along those lines. But the benefit of a litany and having many different litanies is that there's a certain sweetness and attractiveness in prayer, which comes with variety. Just as on the other hand. There's a certain sweetness and attractiveness in prayer that comes with a good, solid habit of prayer. So, but everyone is, is free. That's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of traditional Catholicism. We're not uh, Marxists. We don't have to be all marched in exactly the same way. There are all these different ways of approaching, approaching these, uh, these, these devotions and the duty that man has of praying to God. Mm-hmm. Well, for those of you who are just joining us, we are at the top of the hour here of our program and coming quickly to its its end. Um, you're listening to Devotions with Bishop Dolan on the Restoration Radio Network. Uh, Your Excellency, if we can, just as a kind of a closing thought here, and then I'll let you summarize with your closing thoughts on this on this wonderful topic of the litanies. Uh, you've You've definitely laid out uh, some connections of uh, the litanies of the various seasons of of the liturgical year, but I'd like to ask you, uh, just on a personal level, what are your favorite litanies to pray, uh, and why? Well, I, I must say that I'm, I'm I'm very drawn to the litany of Our Lady, the litany of Loretto, 
and, and I'd like to mention, too, that the traditional way to pray it is to start with that little antiphon, we fly to thy patronage, O Holy Mother of God, and then, then to go through the whole litany itself. Because of uh, its uh, sanctity, because of its origin with the Holy House of Loreto, the shrine in Italy, and uh, its poetic, its scriptural, and liturgical references to the uh, titles of Our Lady, and there's just um, there's, there's a charm that comes that comes with that. I would say all, all of the litanies, that's that's of a private devotional nature, that would probably be my be my favorite. And then after that. Um, it's, there, there are so many. There are so many beautiful litanies that if I have time, then I will, then I will look one up or I'll recite one for a particular feast. And then there are many, many, or season of the year, there are many, many that go throughout the whole year. Um, all the litanies, I have a regret. I regret that the devotion to the holy name of Jesus has pretty much died out. The litany of the holy name is structured like the litany of the saints. It's a little bit longer, and the responses do change. Um, the, 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 there's such a need, though, especially today, for our, hmm. our, our devotion of reparation to the Holy Name, because everybody takes the name of Jesus in vain. It's just, it's just filler. Or it's I was going to mention filth. that. Yeah, and so it's, it's a very, that's, a, that's a needed devotion. I wish there would be more public recitations of the litany of the Holy Name of Jesus. That's uh, I see that as as, as, a, as a lack, and as a, as a, as a very great need, which is a little time and a little imagination. People could could do something uh, along those lines. So those are maybe the two that I would outline. Obviously, uh, the first Friday and the litany of the Sacred Heart. In my mind, that sacred that has to be done, and very often the idea of the month, the litany of Our Lady for the month of May in October, the litany of Saint Joseph for the month of. Uh, March, especially, and then then his his, his Easter type feast day too. Uh, those are those are maybe some of what I consider to be very very important uh, litanies. Mm. Well, Your Excellency, certainly so with the uh, with the litanies of reparation, like the, the litany of the Sacred Heart. I mean, uh, going back to you know even the words of Our Lady, who said that so many souls go to hell because there's no one to pray for them. Uh, I mean, I'm yeah, surrounded yeah. by people uh, in, a, in the workplace, and you always hear it out and about. I mean, no one. Most people today think nothing of uh, you know blaspheming our Lord's name in common conversation, and you think about the fact that is there anyone praying for them? Is there anyone making reparation for them? For they know no better, and and uh, so I, I think that is a, it's a great point, and that's that's one that really needs to be hammered home on on this topic of the of the litanies. And along those lines, Justin, let's remind people that it's, although it's not strictly speaking a litany, it is a responsive or a responsorial prayer. The divine praises that uh, the priest leads traditionally after benediction of the Blessed Sacrament, those are uh, said in reparation for blasphemies. It would be very good for everyone, again, learn it by heart, memorize it. When you when you hear, um, <laughs> I was getting my shoe shined at the Cincinnati airport, and sometimes the shoe shine men are Protestant ministers on the side, and which is that's another story. But um, one of them drew me into discussion, and, and in effect, he was blaspheming Our Lady. And then I interrupted him to say some of the divine praises in honor of Our Lady in reparation because they found it so disgusting. But you, you will come across that blasphemies against Our Lady. Uh, there's a lot going on right now, actually. Uh, blessed be the name of Mary, Virgin and Mother. 
um, are, are, are against the holy name. Blessed be God. Blessed be his holy name. Blessed be Jesus Christ, true God and true man. That's a litany. The priest says it, and then the people repeat it. That's a classic form of a litanaical prayer. That's a good one to say. And if you're hearing something out loud, don't be ashamed of your faith. Go ahead, say it out loud. Make an act of reparation. Give them something to think about. Why should the bad guys have the field, right? Exactly, exactly. Well, I would like to thank uh, Bishop Dolan for his time this morning with us. Uh, I think it's important for our listeners to to realize that our clergy are extremely busy, and they have graciously carved out time from their schedules to come on here this morning and share with us their knowledge, especially Bishop Dolan, who's been such a champion with um, you know, the Devotion Show. I want to thank all of our listeners and His Excellency. You know, we don't take this for granted. Um, I, I really, really appreciate the time, Your Excellency. And I would alert listeners that if they would like to learn more about the ministry of Bishop Dolan, they can visit sgg.org, which is the homepage for St. Gertrude the Great, where His Excellency resides and is pastor. And you can also look at SGG Resources as well. Uh, it's Father Chikata's uh, side of things. And those of you who listen to Restoration Radio uh, know that Father Chikata is a frequent frequent friend and visitor here on the programs. And uh, they can find many timely sermons and informative writings to help guide them through this, uh, this, this sea of modernism. Uh, please keep in mind, my friends, that uh, the resources that are provided to you for free on that website, they, they do cost time and money. And out of charity, it, it, it's proper to support their work. And I'm sure Bishop Dolan would not argue with large donations, but he would also certainly welcome <laughs> small ones as well. So That, that is certainly please, true. <laughs> <laughs> please don't let small donations stop you from helping. And I would also ask you to find this show to be informative to you or beneficial that you would make whatever donation is possible to our little apostolate here at True Restoration. You can... Uh you can do that by going to the truerestoration.org homepage, and you can find the PayPal buttons to donate. Or you can become a member, uh, membership subscriber to our truerestoration.org membership side of things, and you can gain access to stream or download video interviews and conferences, uh, including one with His Excellency on traditional Catholicism, which I've uh, really, I mean, I have access to the whole catalog, and I can say that <laughs> this is probably one of my top three, if not my my, my favorite interview thus far, on uh, on traditional Catholicism, it gives a really great perspective on history and uh, some of His Excellency's personal stories, his his history. And uh, so, to those of you who have uh, you know who have subscribed or donated, we we really thank you. And you can feel free to leave us a message on our Twitter handle Twitter handle at True Restoration, or you can contact us directly via email at uh, mail at truerestoration dot org. So, Your Excellency, do you have any closing thoughts this morning? Yes, you know, I think my closing thought, uh, it's, I think one, it's one that I've uh, given breath to before. We're speaking about litanies, the church's treasury of litanies, of uh, indulgence prayers, public prayers, private prayers, uh, litanies written by saints, litanies of great uh, poetic and um, uh, inspirational value. I would tell everybody, um, use your imagination and be generous. Be generous with your time, just as you've made a good pitch for them to be generous financially, and even a little bit would help. <laughs> be generous with your time. How long would it take to say a litany? Um, a while ago, you and I had a show on the, uh, what was just last month? We had a show on the Angelus. And Father Father McGuire corrects me. He's quite insistent. He says he's timed it several times. It takes one minute, he says, to say the Angelus in the vernacular. One minute. Wow. One and minute. how many Angelus do we miss because we just, you know, we're busy with other things? Same thing with, with the litanies. To honor a day of the week, to set it aside, to honor the Blessed Mother, to honor the Sacred Heart, to honor in reparation the Holy Name. The, Make that part of the fabric of your life. Um, if people claim you know they don't find they don't get much out of prayer, they're they're bored. It's always the same. 
use a prayer book. Get one of those old prayer books that's been reprinted. Recite some of these litanies in a slow, sort of a devotional way. Don't say it if it doesn't, if, if, if it's not really a help to your to your prayer, but do say it if you do find it inspirational. Uh, as they would say today, think outside the box. When we're yeah. looking at this box that's full of treasures, uh, you delve right in, though, at the same time. To kind of steal a little bit you know, from our last show, I, I mean, I could also encourage our listeners, you know, those of you who have smartphones, uh, iPhones, droids, things like that, I'm sure that most of our listeners, or a large majority of our listeners have that. You can easily program into your calendar to have it pop up every day to remind you at 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. or 6 a.m. Today, it's Friday, it's the Litany of the Sacred Heart. That's very easy to do, and it takes about, I don't know, for me, about 15 seconds to input something on my calendar, and there you have it. It's a constant reminder. Sure, and there you have it. And then if you have others with whom you're praying, if there's the household, the family, so, so much the better to pray together. Don't try to do too much, of course, and do vary it, and, and find something that's going to work for you and for your circumstances, but use some of this very powerful treasury of prayer. That there's, uh, I started the show with this idea, whenever I start a litany, I just get a sense that who's ever in church is really happy to be reciting one of our traditional litanies. If, if you don't usually say a litany, do it. Start saying the litanies to mark uh, times of prayer, to uh, devotions, uh, days, special days, months, seasons, or a novena, your own need. Try the litany. I think you will find it to be a very elevating form of prayer. Absolutely. Well, be sure to join us next month uh, for another installment of Devotions with Bishop Dolan. We will be discussing the Holy Rosary, uh, which is always a, a topic that is, uh, you know, most appealing to Catholics, traditional Catholics. And uh, I look forward to that next month, Your Excellency. And I, I thank you so very much for your time this morning. You're very welcome, Justin. God bless you, and okay. God, God bless, bless all of our listeners. Thank you. Bye bye. Take care. Bye bye. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.